Hello, welcome back to the Stay Current podcast. I'm Ellen Nantisco. I'm M. Tombash. And I'm Cecilia Hicken. We are research fellows at Cincinnati Children's Hospital. And along with Stay Current, we're sharing knowledge to improve child health around the globe. To that end, today we have another installment in our series highlighting articles from the Journal of Pediatric Surgery. Today, we're reviewing the January 2023 issue, which is the issue from AFSA. AFSA is the American Pediatric Surgery Association, and these are papers that were presented in the 2022 annual conference. Exactly. And Dr. Romeo Ignacio. I'm a pediatric surgeon here at Rady Children's Hospital. I'm a clinical professor at the University of California, San Diego. Is the editor for this issue, and he helped us choose three articles to highlight for you today. The articles are listed and linked in the description below. Follow along and read with us. So first, we have a paper looking at surgical site infections after using a colorectal bundle. Then we'll look at laparoscopic common bile duct expirations in pediatric patients. And finally, an article um, on the natural history and consequence of patent processes vaginalis in pediatric patients. So, M, you are up with the first one. Our first paper of the day is Standardized Perioperative Care Reduces Colorectal Surgical Side Infection in Children. So we included any patient that were undergoing an eligible operation involving the colon rectum with abdominal closure. She was Dr. Falkowski. She is the senior author of this paper. They studied a perioperative colon bundle at Oregon Health and Science University for their pediatric patients. And this was done as part of a program we have at OHSU to improve the care for our pediatric surgery patients. So this protocol was then adapted and used with our Western Pediatric Surgery Research Consortium. What's the Western Pediatric Surgery Research Consortium? The Western Pediatric Surgery Research Consortium is a collaborative research group and has 10 participating departments of pediatric surgery from across the Western United States. They, all 10 institutions of the consortium, um, instituted this protocol, and then we studied outcomes before and after. They had 336 patients, 138 from the low compliance cohort, and 198 from the high compliance cohort. The most common procedure they performed was the small bowel colorectal anastomosis. So what they find? We found that with high compliance with the protocol, we again significantly reduced the incidence of superficial surgical site infections. This paper highlights in a multicenter fashion of how standard perioperative care reduces SSIs. And that was Dr. Ignacio. He's the editor that helped us pick these articles for this issue. Dr. Falkowski, who is actually the lead on this, she looked at about 330 patients and one of the things she found out instantly was compliance. And so that shows SSIs, which is the one thing that we always are dealing with, was less frequent for those that were highly compliant versus those that were lowly compliant. So it's hard to say which of those things make a big difference. So that's a, a very complex question. But so I think it's more the putting those things together and compliance. 
one thing that was surprising was that none of the individual components of the bundle were independently significant, but all of them together produced a very significant result. So, you know, it's it's definitely a case where the whole is, is bigger than the individual parts. We're starting to learn more and more that these bundles work, that protocolizing patients, especially for infection, seems to work. And so this is just yet one more example. Cecilia is next. So this paper is called Making Common Data Exploration, Common Balloon Sphincterplasty as an Attempt to Transistic Laparoscopic Common Bile Duct Exploration for Pediatric Patients. And their aim was to compare outcome of sphincterplasty with ERCP and normal laparoscopic common bile duct exploration. This is a retrospective study between 2016 and 2020, and they have 44 patients enrolled. And as a result, what they got is that ERCP patients' length of stay was longer, and they have more complications for balloon sphincteroplasty, laparoscopic common bile duct exploration. There was a success rate of 100%. And for the standard procedure, they have a 76% of success rate. Focuses on switching to a surgery-first mindset instead of the ERCP-first mindset. And that was Dr. Jessica Rao. She's the first author of this paper. Where you can kind of use the stepwise approach to clear the duct. And then if you're unable to, then the patient can still get an ERCP, but um, you kind of skip the MRCP unnecessary steps. We always will do things that are fairly comfortable with us and routine, but I think sometimes as pediatric surgeons, we do the most complex operations, right? We do cassite proteinerostomies, we take out complex tumors. An IOC, an intraoptoclangiogram, should be something within our armamentarium, and whether we decide to use that or not, that's what these uh, authors are trying to uh, introduce to us. And that was Dr. Romeo Ignacio. He's the editor that helped us choose these articles. I think, you know, we talked to Todd about this, and it seems like an obvious thing to pick up, but we haven't been picking it up. I think it's especially useful when you don't even have like ERCP capabilities at the pediatric hospital. You have to send the patient next door to the adult hospital to get the ERCP. So this definitely makes sense. Ellen, I think that's probably the most important point is that most children's hospitals don't do ERCP. So you either have to send them out to another hospital or bring someone in. And this is just so much more logical than doing that. I mean, ERCP is really falling out of favor. I have to say, like when I trained as a resident, it was always ERCP first and then do the lap coli. And now it's go to the OR and let's do this as part of the operation. We should become more facile at removing these stones. And having additional tools like these probably make us better at it and will increase the number of surgeons that do stone removal and, and cholangiograms at the time of the lap coli. When we talked to the first author, she said the, the general surgical residents learn about this on their curriculum. I think that's important that they're just teaching to the new generation of surgeons. The last one is called Natural History and Consequence of Patent Processes Vaginalis, an Interim Analysis for a Multi-Institutional Prospective Observational Study. This is a study from the Midwest Pediatric Surgery Consortium. We have another consortium paper where we talked about the Western Pediatric Surgery Research Consortium. 
nearer back to the Midwest Research Consortium. In this study, it's a prospective study, and the researchers are taking a look at infants under the age of four months undergoing laparoscopic pyloromyomy, and they're looking to see if they have a pain processes vaginalis. And then they're and they're actually following these patients for 18 years, an ongoing study to see what happens with these PPVs. And so they chose the laparoscopic pyloromyotomy because these are, besides this pathology, these are normal age-born patients with probably no comorbidities. So it was the best population that we operate on to see how this PPV was. They have enrolled a total of 526 patients and analyzed those patients. And really the, the rate of PPV was actually pretty high. Over 50% of them actually had a reported PPV. The most commonly is bilateral, 47% of them. And then second most common was just being on the right and 41%. And then they're looking to, like you said, to see what happens afterwards. So they're following patients by contacting them at yearly increments to see if they end up needing surgery for inguinal hernia. Only three of the patients so far, so that's three out of 526, have actually undergone inguinal hernia repair at a later date. And that was two of them needed inguinal hernia surgery within the first year after the pyloromyotomy. One of them really went for orchiopexy and had a kind of incidental inguinal hernia repair. And so really, the even though the rate of PPV reporting is high in these patients, the rate of inguinal hernia surgery repair is low. And one of the things that really surprised us was actually the low rate of inguinal hernia that we saw so far, which was only 1.2%. That was Dr. Jason Fraser. He is the first author on the paper. But I think that also speaks to the fact that, you know, this was at this point of a four-year uh, endeavor uh, with these patients and it's a continual accruing, accruing of these patients. I think this is really important because it's super common to go in in surgery like you do any laparoscopy and you find these PPVs and you say, hey, should I close it? Should I not? What should I do? And so if this goes on, like, actually, I will change my practice. I'm now closing every PPV I see, but it seems like it's not worth it. I mean, this would be one of the most compelling studies ever if it's true. Like, I, But I'm skeptical because that number is so high, 50-something percent, unless pyloric somehow select out for <laughs> hernias or PPVs. And so what we can tell just based on the data right now is, you know, obviously with this captive patient population, they're all babies and they're all, you know, asymptomatic and they have PPVs. Hard to say exactly how that translates into a seven-year-old who has an appy who still has a PPV. Is that going to be, you know, persistent or not? Is that going to be causing problems or not? You know, I would like to say yes. I would like to say you can probably just leave it. But so far, I don't think we necessarily have exactly the data based on exactly what we have to, to say yes or no. It's very simple for us surgeons to do a procedure, but if it's not necessary. So I think long-term studies are needed. I think they concluded that at the end of their study. So, And again, that was Dr. Ignacio. He's the editor who helped us choose these articles. This is a great paper if it pans out. I mean, we won't know for sure if the PPV closes, but we'll know at least for childhood what's the incidence. And I would change my practice. I believe in making content for these kind of publications. Today made me proud of my team and what we are doing every day, because even if you change one person's practice, 
there'll be a snowball effect that is going to change our practices for the better every day. Awesome. We had three articles here, all very clinically relevant. We had one about colorectal care bundles and how they might impact the rates of superficial surgical site infections in colorectal pediatric patients. Then we looked at laparoscopic common bile duct exploration and using a balloon sphincteroplasty to help the pediatric surgeon, you know, flush out stones. And finally, we looked at the natural history of the patent persistence vaginalis and the prospective study that's ongoing to see what happens. If you liked this episode, don't forget to follow us on social media, subscribe to our YouTube channel, listen to previous episodes of this podcast or other podcasts, wherever you get your podcast from. And don't forget to download the Stakeorn app on App Store or Play Store. Okay, so keep an eye and don't miss our update course 2023 that's going to be on August. Stay tuned for more information. I'm Ellen Entristo. I'm M. Tom Bash. And I'm Cecilia Kikin. We're research fellows at Cincinnati Children's Hospital, and along with the Stay Current podcast, we're sharing knowledge to improve child health around the globe.